life, sometimes we give up too soon. I think sometimes if we would just put that little bit of effort to finish what we started. I remember going through, um, I was on a trip one time and went through the Cayman Islands. And there were all of these homes that were being built and they built out of concrete there and rebar. And I could have probably counted 10 or 12 houses as our guide was taking us through that had cement up to about the first floor. And the second floor was nothing but rebar. And I said, why in the world are there so many houses that have the rebar showing? I thought maybe there was a storm or, or something catastrophic. He said, people are building houses and they can't afford them. And they just leave them right where they're at. And what a indictment. What an indictment. What a illustration to use this morning to talk about those that follow Jesus where they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and then do nothing. Or maybe that person that is almost at the edge of making a commitment for the Lord, but then they stop. What if Jesus would have not followed through with what God had called him to do. Now, I'm going to start this morning with a confession. I am not a golfer. Okay? I cannot play golf. I remember when I was a kid, back before they had the power trimmers, where you had this long, it looked like a, 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 an axe handle, but on the end of it, it had this U-shaped thing with a blade on it. You know what I'm talking about? That was a weed eater. And you would just whack at the weeds. and get, That's my golf game. Okay? That, I, I guess if you were to, to talk about my swing, that would be it. I've, I've had people, being in ministry, I've had numerous people that have tried to, to teach me the ways of the greens, if you know what I mean. And I just, it's, I'm not saying it won't happen, but I'm just saying that uh, I've tried. But... For the purpose of today, I did do some research. I am not a golfer, but I know plenty of people that are. And I've done some research, and so uh, while I am not an official golfer, I hope that the sermon and I hope that the points that are pulled out today, you can glean something from them. And if you are a golfer and I uh, totally obliterate an illustration, then please forgive me and give me some leniency, all right? And and you can correct me later, and, I, and I'll make sure that I get that right. But uh, as we start our sermon, let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the worship services thus far. And as we open your word, may it change our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, I am not a golfer. And unfortunately, my skills at playing golf on the video games don't parlay into real life. I wish they would, but I've had some experiences with golf. Uh, there have been friends that have taken me to driving ranges, and that was like each friend, it was one trip each, because once they saw me, they're like, no, just, just do something else. And so I've gone to driving ranges. I have done par three courses, man. Now that's my kind of course. They had one in Spartanburg. Um, uh, Jason, you and your family might remember it. All I remember was like near Chesney, and it was like an old peach field. It was a par three course. And man, I, all you need is a, a putting wedge, 
um, of, of certain iron, I don't remember which number, in the driver. And, and that's really all you needed. And that takes all the guesswork out of it. You don't have to sit here and look at a bag full of clubs and say, well, I don't want the nine iron, I don't want the seven, or how far do I want to hit it, or, you know, I, I don't know. Y'all can tell me later, but uh, par three course, you got three clubs, go for it, right? And uh, that was fun. Um, I enjoy it, but uh, I was not very good at it. Now, putt-putt or miniature golf, let me add it. I can, uh, I, can, I can do some miniature golf, I'll be honest with you, and I've been known every now and then to get a hole-in-one. Lucky, but it happened nonetheless. And, um, but uh, I don't know a lot about golf, but I know people who do. And there are many things that, I mean, I can Google how to become a golfer. Have you ever Googled something? You can Google how to become a golfer, and I'm, I'm like, Google the perfect swing. And I realize that doesn't exist uh, because there are so many different aspects of getting a good golf swing. And there are some crucial elements to having a good golf swing. But the most crucial thing that you can have is a follow-through. We have an importance in our lives of a good follow-through. And that's what we're looking at in Acts chapter 1 today. And in any sport, any school project, any work project, any assignment, any relationship, the most important thing that we can do is follow through with it. We don't need to abandon our job. We don't need to abandon relationships. We need to finish them through. And friends, we do not need to abandon our faith. It shows when you follow through with something, it shows that you care. It shows that, that you have actually taken time to, to think about those things. And it, the disciples just saw, I mean, if we can, get in their, their minds just for a moment. The disciples just saw their leader crucified for a crime that he had not committed. And all of them were running and hiding. They were on the lamb. They were fugitives. They were in fear of their lives. Have you ever felt that kind of fear? The fear to where the walls are closing in on you and there is nowhere else to turn. And every bit of hope that you had in one person or one idea or one job or one thing is now dead. And you are left all alone. If you can get to that point in your life and you can understand that, then you might be able to understand the text that we're looking at this morning. These disciples, they were definitely being stretched. Not only did they see Jesus crucified, they saw him resurrected. That'll mess with your mind a little bit, won't it? They saw him resurrected. They were definitely being stretched in their thoughts of the gospel. And if Jesus is risen, if Jesus is truly resurrected, which we, everyone in here, would say, Amen, preacher, Jesus is resurrected. What difference does it make in our life? It's almost like today people are saying, Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. So what? Because we come and we come to church and we have the, the perfect... Every one of you look great this morning, by the way. I mean, you look good. Wasn't it the old Billy Crystal character? You look marvelous. You really do. 
But all of us look good on Sunday mornings. But what do we do on Sunday afternoon? What do we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? It's all about a follow through. I mean, what if Jesus had not followed through with what he was going to do? What if he would have said, my work is done. Look at the fact that Jesus did complete his work. He, he stayed actually in a resurrected state for 40 days because he was focused on the follow through. I love what Tammy mentioned earlier because of all the things Jesus did, Jesus loved Peter so much. He didn't leave this earth until he restored Peter. He loved Peter so much that that was unfinished business that he wanted to take care of. And you think if he's worried about restoring you to him? Absolutely. Jesus wanted to lift up his followers, and he wanted to prepare them for the persecution that was to come. And he wanted them to face trials, and he knew that he had to finish the job. He knew that he had to have a follow-through. And in the book of Acts, which was written some 60-plus years after Jesus' resurrection, as the famed storyteller Paul Harvey says, and now for the rest of the story. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the fact that the first thing in a good follow-through, if I'm going to try to learn how to get a good golf swing, I need to be a good student. The worst thing you can do as a student is when a teacher is telling you something, saying, uh-huh, yep, I know, I know, I know, I know. You don't know. Because if you did know, you wouldn't need a teacher. We have to be good students. We can go out and we can spend fortunes on purchasing all the nice, fancy golf clothes to have the big Nike swoosh going up the side of it. And, I mean, we can get the, the outfits. Man, we can get, you know, kind of like the golfer that wore two pants on the, golf, on the golf course. Why did he wear two pairs of pants, kids? In case he got a hole in one. <laughs> uh, that was terrible. All right. They don't get any better than that. But you're going to remember it. All right. But you, you can go and you can get the clothes and you can get the, the, the spiked shoes and, and the matching bags and, and, and spend, I've heard like tens of thousands of dollars on all the equipment and all that stuff and, and look like a golfer. You can look like a golfer, but that doesn't mean that you have game. The thing is, is that when we play golf, we need someone to teach us. Someone that has been there and bought the t-shirt. That is why when, when God gave me this illustration, I was not about just to Google and say, this is what you need to do to be a golfer. And this is not about golf. This is about, though, the follow-through. Whether it be golf or anything else that you have in your life, we must be authentic. We must be authentic. I am not going to take golf lessons from someone who does not play golf. You see what I'm saying? We have to be authentic. How many reality shows do we need to illustrate the value of things being authentic or not? You've got Storage Wars, American Pickers, and and I'm you know uh, was it Pawn whatever's I, I don't know. But, I mean, you've got all of these people where they're like, oh, man, you know, antiquing. I, I, I just don't get that because, I mean, it's, it's kind of frustrating that st- the junk you have in your house, somebody else can come get it and make hundreds of dollars on it. 
You know, but you know what? What makes a difference between someone being real or fake? It needs to be authentic. It needs to be verified. Does your relationship with God have any value in your life? Let me ask you that one more time. Does your relationship with God have any value in your life? Is your relationship with the Lord authentic? Well, how do you test that? Let me ask you something. Does your faith affect the decisions that you make? Does your faith enhance your relationships? Does your faith reflect in your checkbook? Or in your day planner? Do your actions prove that your faith is authentic? Because you see, the degree of value that we place on our relationship is the degree to which we are authentic. If our relationship with the Lord is a fake, then we are a fake. Do not be fooled. There are people sitting in churches today that are as lost as a ball in tall weeds. Because they have got a form of godliness, but they deny the power and they do not have an authentic relationship with the Lord. Well, preacher, how do you know whether it's authentic or not? As I said earlier, you will see your faith affect these areas. Folks, if all you have is a religion and a structure that you've built up to where... I go to church, I sit in this pew, I go to Sunday school, and I go maybe on Wednesday night, and this is is all it is. This is me going to church. We don't go to church so we can earn salvation. We don't go to church so that we can be righteous. We go to church so that we can be with God's people and worship Him because we have a relationship with Him as an individual. And hopefully when we get together, we are going to help someone else, and they are going to help us. That is what church is. That is an authentic relationship with the Lord. But I want us to understand that authenticity is not perfection. When the Bible says that we need to be authentic, that does not mean perfection. Some of the most authentic Christians I know are the ones that right now are going through valleys, through crisis, through heartbreaks yet still depending on God. That, my friend, is authentic Christianity. That when the bottom drops out, God is still there. And that faith is still there. That is authentic faith. If you walk with God, if your walk with God centers around you being good enough, or not being bad enough as someone else is, you're not authentic. I mean, think about that. If we become more authentic, or we think we become more authentic by measuring ourselves to someone else, we're just measuring ourselves to someone else that is not authentic. We cannot measure ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as the person in the view beside me. Look who I'm sitting beside, preacher. I see elbows and everything. I'm not as bad as that person on the fifth row or the sixth row. I'm not a back row Baptist Lord, so you know I'm pretty good, right? I'm, I'm up near the front. That's not what he's interested in. 
But if we compare ourselves to say, I'm not as bad as that other person, you have just lumped your both of you into a pile of plasticness, of being non-authentic. What do they call that in the antique world? Junk. We must be authentic. Also, authenticity is not perfection, but authenticity must be demonstrated. Maybe you were saying no to Jesus today because you haven't really met him. Maybe you've met a form of him. Maybe, maybe your life has been consumed with being good enough or bad enough or hopefully hoping that in the end your good outweighs your bad. The gospel is not karma, folks. The gospel is that we are messed up, torn up, filthy rags. But yet, Jesus, through his death and God by his grace, redeems us. Maybe some of you in here have not really seen an authentic Christian. Let me lovingly tell you this. That's still no excuse. There are people today, right now, at this moment, that decided this morning, I'm not going to church because so-and-so goes to that church. And I know how they live, and if that's what being a Christian is, then I don't want it. There are people that are doing that. But you know what? It's still no excuse. It is still no excuse. Every, Jesus died so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if, if there are people that are rejecting the gospel because they've seen religion and not a relationship with the Lord, God is going to get through with them. And at some point, they are going to have to reconcile the fate of their eternity of whether they are going to trust in a relationship, an authentic relationship with Christ, or reject this notion of religion that they've lived with. All of their lives. It's not an excuse, but it's a warning. Warning to surround yourself, folks, with people that are authentic. We talked a little bit in Sunday school about this this morning. Folks, we need to have acquaintances and friendships with people that are not saved. We need to go out into the highways, into the byways, and not reject those people that we know in our lives that are not living what we would call a Christian life. But that is not where we put our eggs in our basket. That is not where we depend on. We depend on people in our lives and we surround ourselves with people in our lives. And when we need encouragement, we go to them, to people that are authentic. And prayerfully and hopefully, I pray that that will be the people of Homeland Park Baptist Church. We need to be authentic, not only for our own walk, Sometimes I just wish we as Christians could quit wondering what's in it for us and worry more about what we can do for other people. Because if you are walking with the Lord, you are going to strengthen somebody who is not. Authenticity must be demonstrated. We talked earlier about people comparing themselves to other people. What do we compare ourselves to? Jesus Christ. The real thing. That's how we become authentic. And the disciples, they had authenticity. Why did the disciples have authenticity? Because they 
were there. They were eyewitnesses. When you read the gospel, you, you are not reading hearsay. You are reading accounts of people that were there. Also, we must be relentless. We must be relentless. Meaning that they believed that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. We all know that. And they did not hold back because they believed something that is in verse 3. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself, what? Alive! He's alive, church! He is alive. He said that he would die and three days later he would raise up the temple talking about himself. Although at first his disciples did not get it, they finally realized he is who he says he is and that he is risen and that he is alive. Do we serve a Jesus that is alive? Yes, we do. Does that affect our lives? It should. Does it always do that? Unfortunately, no. Because there's no follow through. Verse 3 continues to say, he says, not only that he presented himself alive to them by convincing many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We, Jesus was their instructor. The disciples needed to listen to them and learn from him. And eventually, with them being reckless, would the disciples, all of the disciples, died a horrible death? Horrible death. Would they have died for a lie? If Jesus Christ's body had actually been stolen or it was a fake, would they have died for nothing? No. They died because he was alive. And he is alive. And the next thing we see is that not only do we need to be a good student, but we need to listen to our instructor. There's two themes that we see here in verses 4 through 8. Let's read that. It says, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to, and I hate this word and I got to use it. This is a nasty four-letter word, but I got to use it in church. It's called wait. Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, and I know Jesus said it because in my Bible is written in red, okay? He says, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive religion when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Is that what it says? <laughs> it says, you will receive power. Power. You will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I'm telling you what, there is no person in here that gets more excited about Christmas than my wife. I mean, she's probably got on her phone right now a countdown that tells her how many days until Christmas. Do you? Okay, we got Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, she'll put the Christmas countdown on there. She, she loves Christmas. And as good as Christmas is, what Jesus is promising the disciples is so much better than Christmas. It is the power of the Holy Spirit to work in this life because we know that Jesus was crucified. And when he was crucified, that means that he could no longer be with everyone all the time. Thus, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to work on your timing. Jesus told them, hey guys, I know you're ready to get out. It's, it's kind of like you ever um, had a group of people that you're leading and you say, okay guys, we're about ready to go. And what does everybody start to do? Stand up. It's like, why are you doing this? It's like on a plane. Plane touch. Yeah, anybody ever flew before? Okay, a lot of people have flown. Or even a bus. The bus stops or the plane stops. They haven't even parked the plane yet. What are people doing? Getting up. Getting their coats on. Getting their luggage. Smacking you in the head with it. To do what? Wait. Wait. And wait. Folks, timing is everything. They say that the first steps in getting your golf swing is to develop a grip of the club that's good. And you golfers could probably tell me what that looks like. And then they also say that you need to get your posture and stance because I do understand this, that, that like I said, my, my philosophy on, on hitting a golf ball is the whack it method, you know, and do, do everything I can. But actually, it's, it's more of a whole fluid body thing in which, I mean, if I put my whole body in the, in the ball, man, it would... I probably set records, you know. But so that you you swing, you swing, and you put your body into it to get that perfect swing. And then you've got the back swing, which am I right? The back swing is when you bring the club back. Is that right? You're a golfer, right? Is that right? I'm talking to your dad. Okay. Is this the back swing? Okay. Well, I'm gonna tell him you're a golfer, right? Back swing, down swing. Okay. Say it with me. Back swing. Back swing. Down swing. Okay, we got it. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. But golfsmith.com, there you go. The internet says that to think of the golf swing is that you hit through the ball, not down on it or at it. You hit through the ball. Follow through. You keep your head down. Focused on the ball, and you, you're not hitting. If you just hit at the point of contact at the ball, it's going to go straight. It's going to go all kinds of weird, different ways. But if you if you're aiming for that ball, that's not what you want to do. Your target you're actually hitting is somewhere up here. Is that right? You want to swing through the ball. That gives it. When you swing through a ball, I do know this. I learned this. You're gonna be impressed. When you're using, um, they call it a wedge, right? When you, call it, when you use a wedge and you follow through with it, that gives the ball lift. Are you impressed? 
I'm impressed, man. I'll tell you what. When you hit, when you hit through the ball, that gives you lift. And Jesus tells his disciples here to wait. We see that the timing is of the Lord's, not theirs. But we don't like to wait. Why does it take a baked potato an hour to cook at 450 degrees when you can nuke it in a microwave for four to five minutes? But it just doesn't taste the same, does it? Doesn't taste the same. But yet, we, you know, believe it or not, those of you that are my age and, and younger, they used to not have microwaves. Man, somebody's saying, back in my day, we had a wood stove, and that's how we cooked. You know what I mean? But still, it's, it's like everything. We want it faster, and we don't want to wait. But Jesus has told them, trust me, if you wait right here, you're not going to be disappointed. God has told some of you in here to wait on something. I don't know what it is. But understand, the reason he's telling you to wait is because he's back there getting something ready for you. For the disciples, it was the Holy Spirit. For you, I don't know what it's going to be, but I can promise you what. It's going to be good. Not only do we need to work on our timing, we need to claim our power. We need to claim the power. Even those that are born with the natural ability to do something, whether it be golf or athletics or music or whatever it might be, there's God-given talent, but then there's things that we need to do to work to make ourselves better. And Jesus promises the coming gift of the Holy Spirit. If we do not claim the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we are those Christians that say, Jesus Christ is alive, so what? We are never going to have power in our lives. We are going to have religion, and we are not going to have a true relationship with Christ because those people that do not claim the power of Christ, they have burnout. Their focus turns on themselves rather than the Holy Spirit. Frustration, guilt, abandonment, shutting down, being a poor example for other people when we deny the power. Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Can I be honest with you? There are times in my life to where I reject the power that's been given to me. Sometimes people say, oh, you're a preacher, you ought to just snap out of it. it you know, somebody's having a rough time, just pray about it. Yes, we can pray about it. But there are sometimes we need to just take certain actions. Living through the power of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time decision. The one-time decision is whether, you're, whether or not you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to reside in you when you become a Christian. But the decision to live by that, that is a daily, moment-by-moment moment decision that all of us make. Jesus promises the disciples that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit in the matter of days. When God puts his timing in our lives, folks, don't get ahead of God. Wait on him. But at the same time, don't lag behind. The third thing we see is that we need to get in the game and take a swing. 
verses 9 through 11 say this. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and the cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into the heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This is Jesus who has been taken from you. Into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. My friend, I'm telling you what, the Bible has, how, depends on how you read it, the Bible has everything. It has murder, it has intrigue, it has, it has anything that trashy novels have got. The Bible does it better because it proves a point of holiness. The Bible has been around for millions of years, or thousands of years, and since, since the, the moment it was first written, and it still is here today. This had to be a funny sight. Would you agree with me? I mean, if you read this, there the disciples are, and all of a sudden, I could just see them sitting there going, cool. And they're so focused on Jesus. I mean, would you ever forget that? No, absolutely not. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's two gods that just appear and say, oh, by the way, he's coming back the same way. Those poor disciples, they were traumatized. Imagine that. They got to see Jesus ascend into the sky. Hold on with me. I know you're, you're eyeing that pot roast and you're, you're hoping that crock pot's going to be ready when you get home. But hang with me just for one more minute. And understand this, is that as Jesus ascended into heaven, so he will return. It's not my opinion, it says it right here. And we need to get into the game and take a swing. How do you work on your golf swing? How do you work on your follow-through? Take or Pick up a club and take a swing. That's how we work on our follow-through. We do not need to spend all of our time staring into the sky, waiting for Jesus Christ to come. Jesus doesn't call us to wait. What does he call us to do? He calls us to go, to tell, to baptize, and to make disciples. That's what he tells us to do. If you're, what does the Lord want me to do? If you do one of those things, I guarantee you, you're in God's will. We don't need to spend our time staring into the clouds, being so heavenly minded, we are no earthly good. I know some people, and God bless their souls, but they are so consumed on what heaven is going to be like, and they can care less on what hell is like. There are so many people consumed with what kind of doctrine is going to, what is it going to be like in the end, or, or what is it going to be like... Uh, well, I know this person, well, I, you know, all these things going on, those are important. I understand that. But if it does not affect the way we live, we are just staring into the clouds being no earthly good. We got to pick up the club and we got to take a swing. If you're on the golf course, if you're in life today, play the game, take a swing and follow through. In verse 6, the disciples had an honest Intent. They really wanted to do what was right, but their focus was off. You hear me, church? 
They wanted to do right, but their focus was off. What is the follow-through? What is the follow-through? I talked to you earlier about the backswing, the downswing, and the follow-through. Well, the back, the actual teeing of the ball. When you you put the ball on that foundation of a tee, that is salvation. That is knowing. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die this moment, you would spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's the T. The backswing is giving God control of your life and laying hold of that power that you need in that swing. The downswing is being a witness and telling others about him to go to baptize, to tell, to make disciples. And then the follow-through is watching the ball soar. Like I said, you hit through the ball. Your salvation is not just about getting you fire insurance to keep you from hell. If that's all you're focused on, you've got no follow-through. How are we going to know there's follow-through? Because we're going to see people coming to Jesus. And we're going to see the church rising up and being excited about their faith and telling others about it. God, we are just so excited that in Acts 1 we see you establishing your church, first of all, by appearing to the disciples. And Lord, I know we have a lot of dear Christian brothers and sisters in here today that maybe think that they're too young or too old too busy, too weak, too knowledgeable, or not knowledgeable enough to share their faith. But Lord, you told us in your word today that if we are a Christian, we have power. I pray that our Christians in here today would claim a part of that. But if there's someone in here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord. That they've never placed their faith in your Son, the Lord. They would come forward this moment. We'll pray with them and they can do that. Lord, help us to not be Christians that are just a flash in the pan, but help us to be Christians that follow through. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, join the church, or you have a prayer need, the altar is open.